0: Welcome to Entertainment Business Wisdom, a podcast about how to fine tune your career and navigate the ever changing landscape of Hollywood with your hosts, Kaya Alexander and Sylvia Franklin, and our very special guests. Welcome. I'm Kaya Alexander. So happy to be here today with my amazing special guest and friend, Juliette Landau. Juliette, how are you?
1: I'm doing okay. How are you, Kaya? I'm so thrilled to be doing this with you.
0: Oh, thanks so much for being here with me and spending the time um, with all of your amazing expertise and your heart uh, in all of your work in the industry. I'm really touched that you're taking a moment with us so we can get a chance to learn from you.
1: Oh thank thank you. I'm honored to be here and to to have a chat with you. It's going to be it's going to be fun.
0: Tell me a little bit about like your background and how you fell in love with what you do, acting, entertainment, etc. I
1: think um I think when I was a kid uh going to the movies and going to the theater and and storytelling was a way that made me feel less alone and made me understand the human condition and understand stuff that I was grappling with and was a really powerful um, tool and escape and all of those kinds of things. And, and sort of knowing that there's other, other ways than, than the environment I was in and, and that kind of situation. And so um, I, I think it, it, it was something that I always knew um, I, I was a creative person and that I wanted to, to be involved in, in telling stories.
0: You came also through dancing. Did you fall in love first with ballet or was it something else? What did you see that made you go, oh my God, I got to, I got to dance. Or were you always just the dancer in your heart?
1: I was, you know, I started dancing actually late for, for, I was a teenager when I started. um, And then I loved it. And I worked so, so hard and I ended up dancing professionally uh, with ballet companies um, and then did some modern dance as well and and loved that too. Uh, And then there was a certain point where I started to feel like the dance world was uh, somewhat insular. And I really loved the idea of getting to use your physicality as a component of, of, of storytelling, but not the whole thing that also getting to be verbal and and communicate conceptual ideas and, and all of that stuff. And so I started taking acting classes and absolutely loved it. Um, and then after training for, for uh, quite some time, started doing a tremendous amount of theater and then television and then film and theater all the way through uh, and voiceover and, you know, Every every kind of uh, acting that that uh, that is possible, and then I've recently branched into directing and producing and writing as well.
0: You are such a strong creative, and those are your roots. Did doing the business side of things come naturally to you, or were you kind of feeling lost as you were navigating your way through it?
1: It didn't come natural to me. And what's interesting is, uh, I, and I don't, I think for a lot of creative people, it isn't it isn't something that is natural or that we, uh, initially think about so much. There's, there's so many things that I think about now. Uh, I I wish I had known when I was younger. I mean, just, just even in terms of, you know, work, it, it is all about, uh, relationships and, and the thing that's, and I think every business is is probably like that. Uh, the entertainment business certainly is that. And I think as a as a performer, I was somewhat of a shy person, except not shy while I was working in character, not shy, but as a as a human, shy. And so I just thought, oh well, my, my work will stand for itself, and you know, you get work because of because of your work. And you know, the the truth of the matter is it's a, it's a social business. It's a, so people like to work with people that they like to spend time with. And also it makes your life fuller that the people that you've worked with, that you connect with, that you stay in contact with them, that you nurture those relationships, that you have friendships, and then they, they, you know, blossom into further working uh, situations and and people recommending you to other things and and all of that kind of thing. So I think um, it's, when I started out, I had a sort of naivete, um, and and my own uh, more introverted nature, which is some you know, people think, oh, you're an actor. How are you introvert? You do these characters, and they're very bold, and they're very. But as as a hum as a person, um, uh, was something that uh, you know that I, that kept me from sort of doing um, uh, building and staying in touch with people in a way that 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 um, I I now do, and it's a wonderful thing for my life and for work.
0: What helped you get over that? Because I imagine there are especially writers listening for whom they are introverted or shy and they realize, I know I need more relationships or to build a community, but how do we, I even think about that? What would you say?
1: I think part of it is to, you know, rather than sort of dread the things, uh, uh, to, to, to look at the fact that, first of all, um, excitement often like anxiety and nervousness is very similar and feels very similar to excitement. And a lot of uh, your work as a performer is taking those feelings and and having them work for you, using your technique and funneling them into what you're doing, into your choices as an actor. And it's sort of the same thing in life. I think if you can uh, embrace first of all, not expect yourself to be perfect at things. If you can embrace um, uh, the challenge of it and the fact that you're stretching and that you are going out of your comfort zone. And if you're, that that's something uh, positive that you're expanding yourself and, and, you know that you'll get better at it as you do it. And also to know that, you know there is a genuine alchemy with people where when you're working with them or you hear them speak or you meet them where you, know, you either have that with people or you don't. And when you do, to trust that and, and, and talk about things that, that are, are real to you and real to them, and you will have a connection.
0: I love that you use the word alchemy. We you know, hear the word chemistry, mm-hmm. but the, the, the alchemy of connection and, and how relationships evolve is so interesting. And when I first met Gary Shanling, I remember how intimidated I felt I was 30. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. And it was it was a matter of time and spending time together that that relationship grew and evolved and developed into where he really became a mentor for me and my life. But anything you want to add to that, because it's just such a rich topic and I'm interested in what you have to contribute and share about it.
1: Well, a, a number of things come to mind. I, first of all, I think it's it, really important to listen and the more that you listen to other people, the less onus is on yourself and how you're performing and you really are hearing what they're interested in and what they need and what they want and where they are in their lives and you genuinely get engaged and invested and interested and the conversation then flows um, because you're not really thinking about how am I doing or how am I presenting myself, you're you're attuned to um, the, the other person and what their interests are, and what they um, are thinking about, and and that sort of is a great way to to take the lead, and um, and plus people are infinitely fascinating. You know that your own curiosity about other people um, is an asset. It, it's something to oh okay, you know, to learn from 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 other people. Uh, I was just talking with a friend of mine uh, who I've worked with a number of times. She's an unbelievable uh, uh, show runner and writer and she's uh, been pitching this week her latest project and she was talking about what we're talking about because she's very accomplished but pitching is one of her least favorite things. And she said, you know, it's so hard. Uh, she, she wishes she could almost just hire performers to do the pitch part. (laughs) And then she could answer some of the follow-up questions because she feels like it's a performance and that's not, you know, she sits in a room and writes and that's her strength is, is not necessarily, uh, uh, portraying it to people it's coming up with it and putting it onto the page um and so we were talking about different different things she does and in that instance she was saying you know she she practices and she practices to the point that it's so Second nature, and she's done it so many times, and she has a, such a fluidity and a freedom with it that she can um, adapt in the moment. She can listen to what it is that 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 um, the the people she's pitching, the buyers want, and she can then be fluid and adjust and and be open, uh, you know. And so I think it's the same thing when you're uh, meeting people and to sort of give, you know, we were at a, an industry thing uh, once and. Uh, we ended up meeting this this filmmaker who's become a really dear friend. And it was funny because we'd gone up and we'd talked to some of the people in the room and he was like, oh, I'm just so bad at that. And we said, go over there, do it and then come back and tell us that you've done it. (laughs) Like, it doesn't matter if you do it well or not, but we're like holding you accountable because this would be good for you to go and do it. And we just met him and he was, and he did. And he came up back and he said, oh my God, thank you so much. I would have left and not done that. And I made this really great connection. And I'm so happy that you pushed me to do it. And it wasn't comfortable and I'm not sure I did it well. And I said, I think you probably did it great. Like you came up and talked to us and it was great. And he was like, yeah, but you're a fellow, like filmmaker and you know, and, and it was an easy, easier conversation, and uh, and so sometimes that's helpful too. Is you, if you almost have a friend um, that you. Uh, you know, tell your list of like, I'm going to make this phone call. I'm going to make this email and uh, send this email. I'm going to, that you check in with so that, you know, you you, you sort of have the responsibility to do it. And you ha- you're you a little bit of a cheering squad for for one another oh, sometimes. I
0: love not. that, the accountability partner of like, I'm going to send this email and we're going to follow up about that. And it's so important. I love what you have shared here. And especially in the context of party in our post-pandemic world, when we get there. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I remember it
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE. I know. I'm remembering (laughs) as you're speaking. uh, When I was a development exec and working for what they were called Inferno then, they're called Lotus now, uh, we had a holiday party. It was awesome industry holiday parties. We had a great one at my boss's house. And there were two scripts that I was madly in love with that I was determined that we were gonna co-finance and I just love these writers I talked to them on the phone a bunch I'd met with one of them in person and I said I'm inviting you guys to our holiday party because I'm going to introduce you to my boss who owns the company and I want to continue to build this relationship with you yeah. and one of the um I know I was I love these projects one of them um had an actress attached to his older which of course in that era ended up being a problem for the boss but that was later because like oh she's too old it was oh my god and don't get me started what was but she what happened in that
1: 29 was-, <laughs> was she 27 <27? laughs> <laughs> <Rachel>? almost 40 <30. laughs> how long ago did she win
0: that academy award anyway <laughs> so awful. um But so the the writers come. They happen to arrive at the same moment up the walkway. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. This is auspicious. I, I think you guys would also enjoy talking. And I brought them in. And at different moments as they got drinks, I introduced them to my boss and they, they wouldn't talk to him and they left to find each other. And they ended up having like a total like love fest with one oh, another no. as writers. And I was sort of they're like, oh, no, no, no like, that's the not the point here. Party. <laughs> was to talk to the buyer, the big guy, you know, who I'm also trying lobbying, you know, for you, but um, even understanding the business side of like how to how to have that conversation. They get they both they both of them individually locked up to have that conversation, and he was pretty easy to talk to person, you know, he had like his filmmaker gear all over the house, his yoga gear, there were right. the points of entry to conversation. Tell me about this art piece, where'd you get it? You know, anything you can think of to get yourself into the flow of that conversation, just to make a connection. Absolutely. When I take pitch picture, I always teach that first, like make the connection, make the, right. human connection. the human connection. And then it's going to be so much clearer to talk about your work, you know?
1: Absolutely. And and the thing that's also in, you know, now, as opposed to when, when we started, you know, you can research everybody before you meet with them. You can see what people look like. You can see what their interests are. You can see, Um, how they, um, you know, it's interesting. uh, uh, I've been really fortunate to work with a a number of people that have have mentored me and shared incredible uh, wisdom and advice and their insights and their experience with me. Um, One of them is a man named Michael Rastigüe and he is the most amazing salesman ever uh he sells insurance but insurance like for multi-billion dollar contracts like Sony Studios or the Omni Hotel or whatever and he's the least salesman-y like you think insurance salesman and I'm sure everybody has a picture he's so not like that in any way he's one of the most amazing moral incredible decent human beings I've ever met um and the thing that
0: he's your business mentor,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that's, right?
0: yeah. yes.
1: And he, the thing with, with Michael is every time you spend time with Michael, no matter if it's on the phone, in person, whatever, even if it's like hours, when he leaves, you're like, Oh, Michael's gone. Like you just love spending time with him. He's just, he has such, he's such a, um, a passion, a life force, a love of life, this energy and I think that's mostly what he brings he brings himself at uh, mm-hmm. his genuine self and you just like it so you were I'm sure that is a huge part of why he is so successful in what he does because you're just like yeah okay anything I just want to spend time with you like you're just an awesome human.
0: I love that. You're reminding me of Maya Angelou quote that is something similar to: "People will forget what you've said, they'll forget what you were wearing, but they'll always remember how you made them feel." Mm-hmm. And like that's that lasting impression is is if you've left the room, you know, especially as a development exec, not not everybody realizes you have. You know, you can have six meetings a day, right. and when you have that many people in front of you, and you go lay your head down to sleep at night you're gonna reflect back on like that, oh, I had such a great feeling about that person. Even, and that will encase everything within whatever was the pitch or the meeting or anything like that was that, what is that feeling? And it's an intangible, but mm -hmm. it's definitely, can be the intention of a creative to go in and be like, I'm gonna get everybody feel good. I'm gonna take care of everybody like a great host. Like I'm sure you've talked about, you know, doing on set as a director, you create that safe container
1: hmm yes, yes. I think it's very much the same. That's a great, that's a great analogy, for sure. Hey, uh, I, it, so, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, oh, I was just thinking about what you were saying, and, and you know, I think it's also that it. they say it's something like, I forget the exact percentage, but like 7% is what you actually say uh, uh, in terms of what makes an impact uh, in any kind of thing, in a pitch, in a conversation, in anything. And so, you know, people get hung up on like, I need to say the perfect thing or I need the in- and, and really also, you know, it. If you're not so comfortable, it's OK to say like the, your writers that were at the party could be like, I'm I'm usually sitting behind a desk. I'm, I'm not so, you know, hopefully I'm, do, you know, you can you can whatever way in that makes it you able to do it. You find your way, like, you know, your unique way. I mean, you can also almost feel, you know, personalize the person like you're talking to someone else. You're talking to a friend that you wouldn't be nervous talking to. I mean, there's just t- so many ways you can find uh, to do it. And I think the more that you do it, the more comfortable you become and it becomes more second nature.
0: Well, that's so cool. I, that, I, I wanna also circle back to the fact that you said, you, know, you have a business mentor and he's not in the entertainment business. And that alone is fascinating because as you've gone from being a creative to being more in business, like, well, you know, what have you learned from him or how did you make that decision, you know, to that you knew you needed mentorship in business?
1: I've learned so, so much from Michael and he actually does uh, re- also represent a, a musician. Uh, so he's had some stuff in the music business and they very successfully as well. So he's had some some experience there. Um I mean, so many lessons from Michael that it's hard to even distill down. One of the things, again, that might be useful in terms of, you know, in in how to talk to people is also looking when you do your research on who you're meeting with or who you potentially might meet um, and and talk to, um, you know, in, in terms of looking at how how they are. So so often people write their own bios. So when I mean, you look at a bio, you can look and you can see if someone is an analytic person, then they probably talk in numbers and in short sentences. And that means that when you're, let's say you are pitching them or you are in a, a kind of an, an ask of them that you probably want to do that, mirror that and, 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 and do that um, in a fairly succinct and give some data to back it up. If it's a person who's more expressive and more creative and, and speaks, you know, then it's probably an and you tend to be a flowery person in the way that you talk, longer sentences, more description descriptive. I feel this and I, I see this and it's more like emotional. You you know that may be the way to talk to that person or to address that person when you're writing them uh, f- for your ask or whatever uh, particular uh, way that you're you're engaging. So um, that's been really interesting because you can learn a lot by by listening and watching and reading and seeing how people do they post a lot of family stuff on their facebook page then they then your you know first few minutes when you're talking in a meeting you want to talk about stuff that's not work related because that's where they like to go are they very very business like and they want to kind of get down to it you still can have the 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 pleasantries in the beginning but you get a sense of like that's not the place to go i mean you can even uh, you know experiment with emails where you go like oh you know i'm going to it seems like if i talk more about kind of you know this vacation i just had for a little bit or whatever you know, and then you see the response and you can track them. I mean, I used to keep something and now it's been so busy that I haven't been doing it, but called uh, like our business Bible where I kept track of the correspondences with people and, you know, so that you know when their son's birthday is and you know what they're doing and you you also go, oh, they respond more to this kind of interaction than this kind of interaction. This works better for them or this is what they're really looking for, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Oh, I love that. That's really interesting. Um, it, it. Things like birthdays are really meaningful for some people, especially if they've had a big one. We, when I managed the bookstore way back in the day, when I was like 20, we kept a birthday log of our mm-hmm. some of our favorite customers, and we would just ring them on their birthday and say "Happy Birthday." And that relationship—it would like be sometimes for some of our older customers, maybe the one call that they got that day to right. wish them a Happy Birthday—and those types of moments, whatever wherever we can create meaning, mm-hmm. uh, it you can be you can be memorable. Right. Um, so as we to continue to do our deep dive into the business side for you as creative, you have had a lot of experience with different projects set up at different places. And one of the I want to talk to you about that, but also to ask you what it was like for you going from acting, having projects that were kind of essentially set up for you, but then now you're filmmaking and you're doing your own projects you know was that a rocky transition for you? was that easy like did the fundraising come naturally or was that something you had to practice and
1: hurdle over or I wouldn't say fundraising probably comes easy at all ever <laughs> you know <laughs> like the, the easiest part of things but there is something incredible about um you know as opposed to being a component of of uh, somebody else's vision but like having a vision and 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 nuts to bolts like doing the fundraising and taking bringing it to fruition and and being the the person in charge of all of the creative choices and and then obviously um all of the the business side um as well i mean it was it was a lot to learn um and tremendously rewarding and uh not an easy process, you know. You know, De- my husband uh, is named Devrel, and and our feature film we co-produced and co-wrote and co, uh, you know, raised the financing together. And uh, he said it's it's very often with, with both the business side of things and even in the creative side of things, whether it be in the editing room, whatever. Like your project often dies on the operating table multiple times and you're reviving it, you know, you're finding there's so many, um, battles really a- along the way, um, and that's for a place among the dead. And that's for, yeah, uh, my directorial feature debut called a place among the dead. And we put together an incredible cast. We've got Gary Oldman and Ron Perlman, Robert Patrick, Lance Henriksen, uh, best-selling author Anne rice appearing for the first time ever in a movie. Um, so, but, but that also, uh, we did you know it, 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 we were sort of on a mission because that the movie um uh, explores the repercussions of growing up under the sway of narcissism and evil, and we we wanted to make a movie that we hadn't seen before, and so we we kind of did everything in a certain way outside of the box. I mean and we and we reached out to everybody and and every single one of the talented people I mentioned said yes, uh, we didn't have one person turn us down. So it was uh, you know, a really incredible experience in, in that regard.
0: Did you end up feeling the pressure? I mean, being a filmmaker is like being an entrepreneur. Uh, did, how did you handle the pressure of knowing, oh, I'm now responsible for this entire production?
1: You know, um, we did something I would never advise an independent filmmaker to do and we wouldn't do again, which is that we raised three quarters of the money and then we thought, well, let's shoot three quarters of the movie and and then we will raise the rest of the money and shoot the rest of the movie. And we did that and we boarded it. We had an incredible line producer who was to the penny and to the the hour and like amazing, worked with us. We were, um, you know, uh, worked on the schedule very closely with him, worked on the budget very Closely with him, everything. So there was just a point where we had three quarters of a movie. And then the pressure of, oh my God, we've taken, you know, we've people have invested money and we have three quarters of a movie. What if we don't raise the rest of the money? Which we of course did. It just was very pressured. And it wasn't the best way of, I would say, have all of your financing in place so that you don't have, you know, months of sleepless, like, Oh my God, we, what if we only ever have three quarters of a movie?
0: That would definitely be sleepless nights for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, one other thing that, um, uh, you know, is, is a little bit off topic, but I was just thinking about um, when you would were opening and when I was saying, Oh, some of the things I wish I knew in, in the beginning yes. is I also uh, learned a lot about following up on on emails and on asks and stuff. And when I first started, I would send out an email and then if I didn't hear something, I'd be like, oh, they don't wanna do it. And I'd feel I was, you know, I'm a sensitive person. I'd be like, oh no, I'm bothering them and all that, that kind of thing. And I, I ended up doing a mentor request letter. And that's another thing that that I think is a, a, an asset to, to, to talk about, but to uh, Mike Medavoy. Uh, and I, too. I love Mike. Actually, I
0: interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. Oh, Christmas. fantastic.
1: How How did it go?
0: Oh, it was amazing. Are you kidding? We had such a great time. You know how short Mike is with everything? And he gave me a whole hour, which was like, you know, in Mike's world, you know, 30 hours.
1: 30 years. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, so every call is like three minutes long. It was great. It was really wonderful to spend time with him and get to hear some of his wonderful stories. So, yeah.
1: Well he um Twitter.
0: You wrote him a a mentor. Yeah,
1: and I I don't I think he said yes to me on my fourth follow up. (gasps) And I was like, yes, oh my god, and 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 I realized people are busy, and you know it 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 depends what kind of personality type. If you're a, like in your face kind of person, you might have to temper yourself because you don't want to annoy people. If you're a person who's not like that, and you kind of have to push yourself to to do that, um, it, it was interesting to to learn that. I think that was the first lesson that Mike actually taught me before we even got in a room together, um, and was that. It's important to follow up, and that it it isn't to not take it personally. And you know, some the, the old quote that you have to have the soul of a poet and the skin of an armadillo. I think is, is true to some degree. Um, to to not like take things overly sensitively. I think a, a number of other things. I think that you know, when if you're if you're asking somebody for something, to think about you know, first of all, what's the benefit for them. In, in that, um, also to get to the ask pretty quickly in your, because in your, I know when people email me, I'm sort of like, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Like to, to get to that part pretty early in an email and also to really, talk about the other person and why it is that you're reaching out so that it's not all about you, 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 but really why it is that you are reaching out. And one of the things that I, I worked with a career coach uh, named Jessica Sidemer, and she was, uh, gave some wonderful advice. And one of them was about one of the ways to build relationships because people are always like, well, how do I meet people? And it was in the idea of of sending mentor request uh, uh, letters and um, Really targeting and looking at who it is that you feel like you would want to learn from and why, and then t- targeting your your ask about that, and in doing it to, uh, I think the language was something like you know understanding how busy your schedule is. Um, I, I, I would love the opportunity, something like this, but um, for uh, to for three. 10 minute uh, phone conversations uh, over the next three months at your earliest convenience so that you limit. It's not like, hi, I want to be your, like, I'm going to be overwhelming to you. It's literally like most people can give a half an hour over three months. Like it's and then what happens if someone gets invested and interested is it often can develop into a much longer and, and more fulsome relationship, but you're you're defining it and you're not overburdening the, the person who's like, oh, well, okay, this is an interesting letter. And I think I could be of value here, or there's something in it for them that I can give a half hour of my valuable time. And so I think that's a good way way to um to connect with people as well i love
0: that i love that so much it is because it, it's not a very big ask but mm-hmm. it's a very clear ask and it's an ask that also builds a actual relationship if it if the alchemy is there right yes. if the connection exactly. if the exactly. connection
1: is there and then if you do get it that you show up uh, on your phone call and often they'll it, like uh, when i did with mike it was like oh come in person and, and uh rather than on a call but the thing you show up and prepared with what for those 10 minutes like what are the questions that you want and you're you're buttoned down so that you can make the most of the time that you have with that person and and uh, and uh and develop that relationship
0: but the questions that you've just mentioned having a question list. That was one of the most powerful tools I've known to use as an entrepreneur. It was actually my cousin who taught me that, who's just been in, in had amazing business track record working for Hewlett Packard actually. He sits on top of about 2 billion in sales for Hewlett Packard. And he said, oh, anytime you're you know going in for a meeting with somebody, bring a list of 20 questions, have it ready to go so that hey, whatever you wanna know about them and how they think or how they work in the relationship, um, People love to talk about themselves, about things they know, and it's great to go in, whether you have the list in your mind or in front of you, to know what is it that we could talk about together that will be meaningful. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it helps to focus.
1: Really does. Oh, and the other thing that that is helpful too in that kind of correspondence is to not only leave it like to say I can be reached at and put your email, um, or I will uh, check back with you in two weeks' time. Like build in that you follow up so that you don't feel like oh I sent it should I follow up? Should I...? Build in already if you don't hear from the person that you are going to follow up, and then that way when you do follow up, you're following through on something that you've said. And then, you know, the, you're more likely for someone to, oh, you caught me now. I, I meant to answer, but you know, whatever the the thing is. So that's, that's another thing that's a good tool. Really
0: good. I love that. It's you helpful. Know, email etiquette. There, there's an art. It's an incredible art, you know, to, to email etiquette and how, how you land on someone's Radar. I've also discovered, too, that if you're asking someone for time, give two available times for yourself. Are you available I, on Thursday? I always do Friday? three.
1: You give three, yeah. I so. give three. I do, like, the three times available, and so that you start. So you, they don't, and then basically you go from there as opposed to leaving it to the other person to to. Offer time. So, yeah. If you
0: just say, when in July can you meet with me? You <laughs> yeah. know, you're probably not going to hear back from that email and you won't necessarily even know why.
1: Right. Right, and obviously, you know, right now we're, you know, it's it's also not like, hey, let me just launch into whatever, which I don't think you ever should be, but you know, there's this also sensitivity. Like, I hope that you and your loved ones are safe and well, and it's been crazy times. And on a positive note, I'd like to, you know, like so that you know you're like, you know, being succinct, so you're not like over whatever, but but being human and being like, you do hope that this is land. You don't know how things are ever landing with people. And particularly now how, you know, we're all grappling with so many, So you know, it's been crazy.
0: Absolutely. And we, yeah, we we don't know what's going on inside of someone's life or business or career, any number of things could be happening. Um, I, I have a phrase that I use a lot around the house and with my son, which is curious before furious So curious before furious. So it's easy to just sort of jump to, oh, and they're mad at me or they don't like me or any of those things we jump to. But starting with curiosity and going, I don't know what's happening for them. Hey, what's happening for you? Right. Uh, what happened back then? You know, you never know what someone is going through and, right. and then you get something back that it's. we can all take it so personally. Oh, I never heard back from that person. And it's like, right. they hate me, you know, <laughs> wherever your, you know, tapes go and inside yourselves. And, and, it's and so that's,
1: that's kind of like the thing I was saying with the conversation, like it, that's making it about you where you're like, oh, they don't, you know, whatever that is, as opposed to, what is going on in there. They may have a myriad of things going on in their life that you have no idea about. And, and that's making, that's paying attention to what's going on with with the other person and not centering the entire experience around you, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. No doubt. I I want to, you're such a talent with also your marketing of your film, your passion for it being so innate and so within your fabric. And I'm curious, um, how you've built your audience around this film. How has that worked? And do you think you'll parlay that audience into future projects also?
1: Yeah, it's been incredible. Um, we have so so many people we've been doing. We, we actually extended. We're working with Modern Films, which is a female-based uh, distribution company, uh, and they are awesome. And they're UK-based, but they decided to go worldwide with our movie for the first time ever. And we extended the window of these. We've been doing these screening events because we really made the movie. We, we wanted to make an entertaining movie and to give voice to what has affected many and to open up a dialogue. And that's been exactly what's been happening. And I know, Kaya, you came uh, to, to one of them and every single interactive audience Zoom has it. not one of them has been less than four hours where the entire audience stays and, and talks about the movie and shares their own personal experiences. And it's just been so, so profound. And so a lot of the audience members have been calling themselves uh, a place among the deadheads, like the Grateful Dead. <laughs> I love
0: that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's been really fun, and they've been coming to like on a tour almost to every single screening event. Um, and they've been like the most amazing champions of the film. And some of the audience members have even set up screenings for us. Said, "Oh, we know of a, 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 a. We think that you know there was a fan convention that in Seattle that one uh, gal said I think they'd love to do it with you. I've come to two of the events, and 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 she we ended up doing the panel uh, and the Q and A with her, and it was amazing. And um, we had a, a a te- high school teacher come and then bring her whole, like a number of different classes that she got permission from the school board. And like, you know, we had NYU film school. And so people have been sort of start like, like asking us to do these uh, screening events. Um, and so I absolutely think that the, that everybody uh, on social media will be coming to, into our other projects as well. We've kind of c- created this community um, and it's been just just amazing. And I think some of it also was um, Deverell, my husband, he he really is so brilliant at thinking outside of the box in uh, wonderful ways. And so with some of the marketing, we we have a character in the film, and there's a crime scene sketch, and we actually got uh, a lot of the people Online. First, we start we did a sort of campaign where we were like, Have you seen this man? where I was doing it. And then before even the movie launched, we had like hundreds of people making their own we we supplied the crime scene sketch and they made their own video videos so we have all these amazing dvd extras of like all these incredible audience members like making and so that went on and continued and became kind of a thing where people know
0: that that is so fascinating it was
1: really fun because people came up with like we have like one was shot in, in a graveyard in germany and one in whitby and one in like argentina and like and so creative and one on the subway and one in New York City. And, you know, this was, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, just some of, you know, during pandemic. So some of it was when when nobody else was around or in ma- masks and that kind of thing. But it was really amazing. So, That's amazing. You made it like an alternate
0: reality game where they got to participate. And that is so cool. I love that. So
1: fun. Yes, yeah, so it was really fun. So it's been really fun to engage with you know, the people that, and then and, and that are that your audience and, and 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 build this community. It's been really amazing.
0: Have you thought about your future films that you want to create and what's coming next for you?
1: Yeah, well, we have two other current projects that um, that we're gonna there's gonna be an announcement in the trades in the next uh, few weeks um, um, so I can't yet say anything about them but that are moving forward and they're very both very very different in nature um, um, from each other and from the film. So I'm really at, the same thing as an actress I'm really interested in doing a diverse range of things and um, and the same with you know what what we're producing and making is you know each each thing is its own its own project but i think they they all kind of have they all have heart um, but one's super super funny and what, you know they're just different in in tone and then in in, uh, in timber
0: yeah oh that's so great yay <laughs> I'm so happy for you i'd love hearing good news like that it's so great lots of, um, so much creativity in your corner and what you're dreaming up always. Do you feel like it's hard at all when you have things in different stages, like you're marketing one thing, but you're giving birth to something else and like wearing those different hats? How do you juggle it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm also, I don't know about you, but I am I tend to be like, are, are you, a, in, in my previous incarnations of, I w- I'm a very mono focus. Like I like to get very immersed in one thing.
0: Holy all about the immersion deep dive. Yep.
1: Yeah. So I find it hard to switch gears, but I've had to really learn to do that. And it's important to do that because Um, for for a while when we were working on the film like that was our one project and well actually we were doing we were shooting another one at the same time so that was crazy but um but in terms of sort of when we were going for you know distribution that stuff and and it's always good to have a lot of irons in the fire and more than I mean Guillermo del Toro actually mentored us on the movie and he was he always has I mean look at his like what's in development it's like you know 50 things at a time and he's so prolific and he um you know even he when he was talking to us he said you know what do you think that my when i go and pitch what do you think that my success rate is like how many do you, how many times do you think actually he said how many times do you think i'm told no and we were like he just won the oscar we were we were like when we were having this discussion we were like um probably not very much and he said 98% of the time i'm told no and we were like you're told no 98% of the time he goes yeah I'm told no 98% of the time. And then he proceeded to tell us uh, uh, many stories of all the no's that he got. And he said, Look, you know, I'm a successful director and I have spent, uh, you know, out of the last 20 some years, I've spent 10 of it not working, not directing. So it's interesting because we we don't have that perspective when when we look at him we think that he's gone from project to project to project to project which now he's doing but it's a uh, it, it's interesting that he still said you know he's it's the the soul of a poet and the skin of an armadillo like the no 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 and and he keeps persevering and finding the way until he gets the yes
0: especially for a director for whom. You know, that's going to be two years of your life. You're doing this deep dive into, you know, pre and production and post and everything that's happening versus a producer who does get to have so many different projects at various stages and and being teed up. I don't know what the um, statistic is now. It used to be you would say a director would do 10 to 15 movies in a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And and now that's what you have time for in the full, you know, Shot of your career. Um, I hope that it means that women are getting more chances. I know that, especially in the Directors Guild for a long, long time, it was a terrible statistic as to how many women were directing. And, and you being a, a woman director, do you, how, what has that experience been like?
1: Well, it's incredible. I mean, you know, we ended up hiring so many women in terms of and not because they were women and we just hired who we ended up thinking would be the best for that particular job. And it ended up being a lot of women. Uh, we have a, a female composer that we worked with on the film named Monica Richards and, uh,
0: that's, so and that's super rare.
1: So rare. It's like one of the tiniest percentages of women in a field in our, in the entertainment business. And we're working with her on our other two projects. Like we're just she's she's it for she's just unbelievably talented. And she had, our movie is the first time she scored a movie. Um, but we actually met with her about some of the practical stuff like the radio song, because she had been in a band called Faith and the Muse and had uh, you know a successful sort of um, singing career but I started listening to her music and all, all of the um, introductory portions of it sounded like soundtracks. And I was like, and we were meeting and talking and she played me this incredible piece she did in a cave in Europe, this like primal, vocal, amazing, incredible, phenomenal thing. And all of a sudden I said, you know, I have, would you want to score the movie? And she was like, I I don't know, uh, yes. And she said, well, why don't we do a test and see if you like it? And I said, okay, let's do a test and see. And the first thing she did was uh, the, the, my character's uh, name is Jules, the Jules theme, a violin piece that was, and she gave us a couple options. And one of them was just like, and and it was so beautiful and perfect and there was a part of it that was stepping up and I said well it feels like emotionally with what's happening in the scene that it should step down and she's okay and then she worked on it and sent it back and then it was just like oh and so I said perfect let's do this and she said well let's do another test and I think we did that for like six pieces. And I said, Monica, we're doing this. Like we're scoring the movie. There is no more testing. And she said, well, I just want to make sure you're happy. I was like, I'm so beyond happy. Like this is, you know, so it was, it was very cute, but so yeah, we ended up hiring and we had a, a, a our makeup and hair department head who was brilliant, Rachel uh, Kuiman and our costume designer uh, who we had met on a photo shoot in New Orleans. And she was phenomenal. And I've gotten to work with Colleen Atwood and all these amazing costume designers. And Bex is as good as any of them. Like she was amazing. And so she flew out and we, we you know, work, got to work with Bex on the movie. And so you know, we had this incredible group, men and women, but s- such uh, talented women in, in the mix and, and bringing their collaboration uh, to the project, which was so exciting
0: you feel like as a woman director, there's more chances for you now in 2021?
1: I hope so. I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, I mean, certainly it feels like there's uh, attention being given to it, but, you know, it's still, as an actress, it's interesting. I know we touched on on this in a whole, uh, for a minute, but as an actress, it's interesting because even like this you know, not so long ago, I tested for a role that was supposed to be a contemporary, it's a historical piece, so the for opposite a, a, a well-known actor, I won't say what it was, but um and they and they were supposed to be contemporaries that grew up together. And I still am about 15 years younger than the leading actor. And they ended up casting someone who literally is in her 20s to be his wife who could be his granddaughter. Oh and so God. even like you think that we're kind of like you're making headway and then you're kind of like, oh, that's not real headway. So I, hopefully, hopefully, you know, I, hopefully there will come a point where it isn't like a woman director or a man, like it's just like a given that women and men are doing their thing, you know?
0: The next couple of projects you mentioned, did you write those too?
1: We, um, one of them, yes, uh, and uh, and then one of them, uh, no, we're, adap- we're adapting from uh, a best-selling book, actually, so.
0: oh, well, that's really exciting. That is really exciting. Um, you know, the writer in me is like, I have so many questions for you about the writing process, but we're here to talk about business, so. <laughs> but maybe just give me a little taste of like you know do you have any special writing rituals that you do when you sit down to write or anything like that just curious
1: yeah i mean it's it's interesting what you know some of what you're talking about now in terms of the the multitasking thing is i think um we're starting now with one of our projects to 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 work on the creative elements and it it was Actually, yesterday we were getting some work done. I was like, "Oh, it's so much fun to be doing the creative stuff" because we've been uh, working the dis- distribution on the film and in the business side of things for for, for a while. Um, and so, I think I think for me, it's about uh, allowing that, like making sure that I'm like I'm gonna do this today, I'm going to spend the time and whether it's productive or not productive, I'm going to give my attention to it and my time to it. So I, I, and I, I enjoy it. I mean, the other thing I, I like to do often is, uh, I do it as an actress and I do it as a writer as I put together a soundtrack for each project that I'm working on. And then when I'm listening to it, it gets my creative juices flowing and I get in a zone the minute I start to hear the first track like, <laughs> of whatever it is. And, you know, and then I'll just I play it on repeat incessantly. So I probably, you know, drive dev crazy unless I <laughs> put on headphones. Um, but and I like to work with visual image Im- imagery, too, um, as well and pull thing artwork and pull if it's r- historical or you're doing research in that way. Um, but but yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of it is sort of um, having the routine of like, I'm gonna spend this much time, I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna do this uh, from this time to this time, every day. you know.
0: I call it the golden three because I know for me there's a three hour, magic that if I get the full three hours, I can really get into that flow state and really go deep with it. And it's like that golden uninterrupted three. And if I only have half an hour, I'm like, I'm going to do admin. There's no way I'm going to get started down that road and then just have to like, cut it off, (laughs) stop it and cut it off. Yeah. I'm a walker.
1: Sorry, please.
0: I would just say yeah, I'm a wall thinker too. You know, so like whether it's sketching something out, whether it's business or it's a writing project, there are two sides of my wall that are like I can see it all, lay it all out. And you said you're visual, and I, I know I am that way too. Like it's it gets real for me when I can actually see it, move things around. It really helps me.
1: Yeah. And I think you're, that that three hour thing is for me, too, there's something sweet about like that you have enough time to really get immersed in it. I mean, it's it's interesting because I taught myself to edit um, so that I could work with our, our editor uh, is uh, had edited the BAFTA nominated uh, movie, Tim's Vermeer, and he's brilliant. His name is Patrick yeah, Sheffield.
0: Really hard. Editing is so
1: hard. You know, it, I'm not a technical person, but I learned uh, initially on Final Cut 7, then I re- had to change because it wasn't being supported anymore to, to premiere, and I actually really enjoy it, and, and And it's a way for me to communicate, like, instead of trying to say in words what I'm thinking to show, this is what I'm thinking, and then we can refine stuff from there, and, and here's the idea. Um, again, it's like the visual way rather than trying to communicate. you know, this is my thought about what might work here here, here it is. So I really I, and and I find that time just go like I can spend, you know twelve hours at a clip just sitting there editing and get totally lost in it. Um, and which is wild because I'm not a patient person by nature, but i I enjoy that that process quite a bit.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. Okay, so I, I am so grateful for your time today. I have one more question for you, and it follows great on the heels with all of the stuff we're talking about right now, which is, tell me about your use of pitch decks and like, do you, since you're, since you're visual, since we now have this tool in the industry that for a while, I was really against being a classic, you know, development exec. Where I'm like, you gotta read it and use your own imagination. But now we use this visual tool of the pitch decks, and it's like, oh, you've got to have one. So tell me about your relationship with pitch decks
1: and what was your experience when when you were on the other side and what what you thought about them. I'm, I'm curious about that too.
0: As a buyer. I feel like one of the reasons why you can get buy-in into your project is like your own imagination comes online. You go, I fell in love with this because of the way I'm seeing it in my mind. And there's something magical to that where you let someone fill in the gaps with their own imagination and then they really subscribe to it versus like the worst possible reason to get a pass on a project would be that they look at the pitch deck and go, well, I don't like the visuals on this. And they Mm. don't even read the necessarily read the script or they just glance at the coverage or whatever. The script is the real doorway and portal in. So my resistance on the pitch decks has been it would be awful to get the pass because the visual isn't what the buyer has in mind with what they want to have happen. But I also know it's this really important sales tool at the same time. And many times a project will sell because the pitch deck is so great. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a double-sided sword, you know, two-sided sword.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You know, it's, it's interesting because we've been soaking up as much as we can about pitching because we are about to go into a whole round of pitches on, on these two different projects. And, um, with, with our film, we base, I mean, to some degree it was pitching, but it was, you know, we, we pitched to, uh, uh, people who had money, uh, you know, and, and got independent, uh, investors and, and, you know, and then we did so in terms of, uh, when we sold the film, but it was a different, you know, thing. And so we've been doing a lot of research on it. And, uh, I, my friend that I was talking about, Sharon, who's the showrunner, um, I was talking to her about her experiences with it and what, what she, and she said, you know, back in the day you needed this, 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 and this, it, you know, it's, it's a little bit different now. And we were talking about the pitch deck and then I was talking with a, another friend of mine who's an incredible producer and showrunner, And she was, um, uh, sharing her insights about that. And, 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 one of the things, by the way, she said that I thought was interesting. She said, um, uh, when you're, if you're stacking your pitches that you're doing, do your least precious ones first, the ones you're not sure that it's like the perfect pitch, so that you get more in a flow by the time you kind of get to, to, to the, uh, the later ones. Um, but We've been starting, you know, and I pulled online. There's actually a really interesting. Uh, they have uh, the Strange Days pitch deck uh, on there, which is interesting to look at. What they did in terms of the visuals of what what they picked and what they 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 made everything sort of had uniformly colored so that it felt like that nostalgia for the time period and they every single image that they used was of a hugely successful movie uh so you inadvertently as you're reading it or like this is going to be a huge success because like oh look it's this it's movie it's this movie it's this movie um you know it, and and so that pitch deck is has been done really well and we're, we're sort of looking at it too i think um, if there's a a way to um, make sure that the visuals are really what you are envisioning in your mind so that it isn't um, uh, generic necessarily, but it is very specific to the world of what it is that you're wanting to create, then you can use that as as your tool with your pitch, because a, a, a picture does speak a thousand world words, and people's attention spans. And if you are getting six pitches in a day or eight pitches in a day, and then you kind of go like, "Oh, oh, I get that right now. Like that makes a lot of sense to me because I see it's it's sort of, you know, a, a sweeping romantic whatever, and that picture gives me that that image. Um, it's interesting because some people have been saying to you know you can put your an idea of cast in some people say don't do that because they think it limits if the if the buyer doesn't like the cast it's better not to put specific people in which makes a lot of sense um there's also very interesting information on the masterclass series from shonda rhymes and judd apatow both
0: yeah, i did his last year it was great oh how was it oh, it's fantastic it's so great i learned so much and he, he gives so much too because even though it's just on producing like he really gets into directing he really gets into it, casting and he, he gives a really broad picture so much more um than just what's like on the bill for what they say that class is it was great
1: oh that's fantastic yeah it's it, this um his I pitching haven't
0: done, i haven't done shonda rhymes yet but i'm super curious too also it is an amazing resource masterclass it
1: is it really is and shonda rhymes i found particularly uh, uh insightful about Pitching and, and she gives some real personal tips to, of what has helped her uh, sell stuff and 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 some of the, the the trappings when you go into to to pitch as well or as now that we're pitching on Zoom. Um, so so it's interesting because we've been compiling sort of a lot of information and figuring out like the, the best way to distill within the deck the, the the visuals of of you know what it is in, in our imaginations of what it is we we, we want to make.
0: Oh, that's really cool. I love the idea, too, of the anchor point of the visual where the picture speaks a thousand words. You know, how can you how can you anchor it? And it's interesting. You can anchor it in other films. It like sort of subconsciously, subliminally to say this is what it's going to be like, like that old school Hollywood way of saying, well, it's, you know, the log
1: line. So and so meets so and so. Right. Like that. (laughs) Yeah, it was interesting cuz they did with the Stranger Things deck, they colored them all so that those films weren't necessarily all uh, color corrected in the exact same palette, but for their deck they did they color corrected it in a muted 19, you know, like 80s like the sort of palette that they that actually the show isn't even totally like, but gives a sense of that. So they made it so that all the visuals are uniform, but then it was, you know, like each, each thing was like an unbelievably hugely successful thing. And so it was interesting cause that, you know, you're reading it and going like, oh, you're kind of letting people know on the level that you're saying like a subliminal, like this is a sure thing, this people, there's a hunger for this, you know um, and we're at a, a right moment for nostalgia or whatever. And, and then, and, and also the text uh, is is written well, you know obviously and, and your your pitch of what you're communicating. Um, and and I guess what uh, you know f- from what, you know, we've experienced like the, the there used to be uh, apparently before, you know, back in the day, people would buy in the room, but that isn't happening to now in that same way. But the, uh, the goal is that you get, you know, a conversation going where people are invested and interested enough to be asking questions that then you're fielding and, and talking about with with them and sussing out with the, the people in the room.
0: For sure. And it's good to have your ask be really clear. When I'm meeting with executive producers, I'll often say, will you please read the script yourself? <laughs> and it's great to get that. Yes, I will read it myself. And then you have the relationship continues in that way. And a lot of us in the industry have leaned on coverage. I was disappointed when I worked at our production company, how much uh, value uh, that some of my coworkers ascribed to the coverage without ever having read some of the scripts that we were... Right. Expected to put millions of dollars behind. And I was like, maybe you should really read the script. You know, we have this one 20 something year old telling us what we should be investing our $12 million into. Maybe somebody else on the staff should read it. Read it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it can happen. You know, it can happen because you're just so busy and the pressure of and you know, everything happening. Uh, that was a quote from you that we've all batted around a lot, by the way, in writing with Kaya. The happy busy pretty. That was it, wasn't it? In the yeah. industry, they all expect you in our last call you said everyone expects you to be happy busy and pretty.
1: <laughs> exactly. How are you? Wonderful. What's going on? So, good. Working. Oh, I'm always working,
0: I <laughs> working. Everything's going fantastic. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Yeah. It's. I, I feel like there's new pockets of keeping it real in the industry yeah. of like what's really going on and normalizing mm-hmm. failure. Um we have a even the new, I don't even know if you know about my new imprint, which is going to be really fun. Mm-hmm. My publisher, Waterside Productions, Waterside Press, um, I, I asked, I said, I'd like to do an imprint for scripts because what people don't realize is that even some of the most beloved filmmakers in the world, writers uh, and filmmakers have a script that they love so much that sat in a drawer that nobody would buy. Mm-hmm. Sure. And like a script isn't, if it doesn't get made, who's going to see it? Your spouse you know, maybe one family member and then that's it. And it's like, you, see, you pour your heart and soul and life and passion into this. So I said, let's let's normalize getting these scripts out there to the people who will really love them. So it's called Secret Script Vault. And we have three scripts ready to go from wonderful writers, showrunners, many of whom have been in the industry for decades and decades
1: for, for whatever crazy reason, Right. And didn't sell. Well, ninety-eight percent, the ninety-eight percent no rate, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I bet <laughs> Guillermo del Toro has one. <laughs> Amazing. Though. That's like yeah. that was an incredible idea, Kai. Oh, like it's
0: gonna be so fun because, like, yeah. the, oh, I think what will really happen is the 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 writers get to keep their film rights. So ideally, you build an audience around the script, and then you get that's power, and you can take that back to a studio or a streamer and get it made. Say, hey, Look, yeah, we have an audience for this, and let's let us Let's make it. And and so my mom is um, not someone who ever read scripts before and she's not really a huge like lover of reading novels you know she's not the woman who brings a novel to the beach she loves reading books on spirituality but she'll read my stuff and um when I started working more on scripts she would read them she'd go this is just so satisfying I can read one of these in like one sitting it's amazing (laughs) she has a sense of accomplishment she's like it's so fun to see how the characters come to life and what is in." exed mean and you know <laughs> 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 it was so great Now i was like oh this is so fun i bet there's a great group of readers out there who are like my mom who love movies she and my stepdad have been married 27 years they until the pandemic they had never missed a Friday movie date at the wow. theater, Ever. Wow. And they loved movies so much and she'd never read a script. So it could be fun to give this um, back to readers and to filmmakers alike to say, you know, here's a chance to have to share your beloved work with the with the world. You know. I think and it's brilliant.
1: It's brilliant. It's people have their pet projects and that they haven't gotten And then if it, it could build the audience, plus people like reading the, you know, that aren't, don't get the opportunity to read scripts and see how they're drafted, like what you're saying with your mom and go like, what's X to mean? And all of that stuff. <laughs> And you know it's amazing. You know um, Josh Olson, uh, the screenwriter of American History X, and he ha- he's been doing uh, something a tiny bit similar with doing that with um, radio, old time, almost radio podcasts with writers and scripts for the same reason. Um, and they've been now getting some of those scripts produced. So I bet you some of your writers that will happen. And and it's an, an amazing way for people who have put like this incredible work into and for whatever reasons, because a lot of times things getting bought are about them, you know, ticking the boxes of what the mandate is for that particular film company at that or distributor at that moment. And so it isn't whether the script is good or not good um which or is something
0: effective. in Oh, westerns aren't in right now oh right. period pieces aren't in so yeah well you're amazing thing you spent years researching what happened then for that reason sure sure the mandates too
1: yeah so that's that's incredible idea i love that and you already have three scripts ready ready to go and
0: it's going to be so fun. Yeah, I will. I'm so, so excited to, to tell you about them. You even have a chance to read them. One, the first one yeah. I'm coming out with is called The Bags, and it was co-written by Nell Scoville, the oh. writer and yeah. Joel Hodgson, the founder of Mystery Science Theater, and um, she wrote in her preface for the script that... Um, she was so excited. they had such a great time collaborating They, and it you can tell in the script they just had the time of their lives. and she took it to her agents and they invited her to meet at the Ivy to have lunch and she was so excited. oh great, you know wonder can't wait can good say, and where are we going to take it? And she sat down and they said, where why would you write something like this? And they la- kind of laid into her about it and sh- they said, well it's you know it's about it's about trash coming to life and garbage is something everyone has in their homes. And she was like, exactly. And they, they were, they didn't get it. They never sent it out. The world has never seen it. Not not even a producer has read it. They killed the project right there. So there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, as you would know, but maybe even some of the listeners wouldn't know, like, where where things can die. And for what reason? For no reason in some cases. And there's audiences who think, well, it didn't happen because it wasn't good. And it's like, oh, there's so many other reasons, you know. So many
1: reasons. Mm -hmm. that's brilliant. I'm so excited about that. I can't wait to read all of them. That just sounds that's so much fun. And by the way, and one other thing that you made me think of when you were talking, you know, in, in using the word failure, I think it's interesting because if you actually look at sort of every entrepreneur, you look at Richard Branson, you look at every uh, person who started a business, people that you fail more than you succeed. It's just that you need it to succeed the time that it succeeds. It's same with, um. Uh, 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 I'm not a sports person, but uh, Michael, our mentor was get, telling us about like the people that are the MVPs in basketball that have the best, you know, whatever free throws and that they actually have, and the same with the pitchers in baseball and whatever. Like, if you look at the amount of times they're up for bat, up to bat, their, their failure rate is huge, but they get up to bat. And so and it just takes the, the, the home runs that they do get. I'm, I'm probably hugely saying the sports analogy horribly, but it's, it's interesting because we sort of, when you, we listen to people that have been hugely built, you know, billion dollar empires, all of them have had that is not an immediate thing. They've had equal, more <laughs> failures, if you want to call it failures. Like that's, it's, it's really not even a failure. It's part of the process, like the nose and the, what we sort of deem as, and call failures or, you know, as opposed to wins are actually just part of the journey. Like in, in some way it's like, you know, the nose that you're getting are building you up. Like you have to, <laughs> you get those and then you get your yes, like it, it is all part of it. And I think sometimes we don't know that, like people don't know how much goes into something that is successful, how many failures there are that that, that, that those, you know, it's standing on.
0: The, the power ends up being how tenacious can you be? Yes. How, how can you come back from losing or the no or the pass? Or, you know, I know for myself when I was a young writer, I mean, I could spend days in bed crying over one rejection from right. agent or publisher or something. And right. now, you know, it's like, it's just next, okay, next, next. There's no even consideration over the emotion, you know, and the time spent lost over it. I'm a surfer too, so being out there in the water, I mean, I I fall on my face. I mean, literally, like face plant. You hit the water, and the the thing you have to do is just go right back, paddle back out, go for the next wave, and learn from it. And go, the face plant happened because I didn't angle this way. So the next wave, I'll compensate. I'm going to try to angle the other way. You know, so those, like, what can we learn from what's happening? As long as we're, you know, pursuing forward, I think there must be huge drop off among people even creatives who are sensitive for whom yes. they don't realize there's going to be failure involved. We can normalize that. And you just pick yourself up, dust yourself up, keep going, surround yourself with the supportive community who yes. believes in you and is, yes. you know, championing you, checking in with you, making sure you're okay. And, and then also the mental health part of it, of being of being honest, having therapy if you need yeah. it, being real about what, what's going on, you know, within yourself and giving yourself chance to
1: have the emotion yeah have the emotion about it and then move through it and on because bottling up is never good so like you feel upset about something that's happened to 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 feel that and then find your way so that you're you know you're you're back in in battle and you're back you know uh up on your surfboard and you're back writing and you're back doing what you do because you know that's the thing too is just having that I think belief in it you know um it's interesting. I think it was chicken soup for the soul, that best-selling book yeah, that's that got turned down, like, but I think it was 144 or 44, like every single publisher said no. And they knew that they had something there. Like they knew that they did and they just kept going and they did. And it became a bestseller and it's like in every language and it's, you know, um so i think it's yeah right
0: and if they stopped at number 129 or something you know it wouldn't have happened there this is true also about a woman who founded a hotel in oregon that's a real famous hotel where every room is a, after a famous author like the richard kipling oh. room or the Anne Rice room or the Ernest Hemingway room. And she had it all designed herself. She had this vision in her mind to create this amazing hotel. She had like no money to do this crazy vision that she had in mind. And she was a a single mom. Like there was no way that she was going to get the money. She went to all the banks and everything. And but it was just this dream in her heart. And she was like, no, I know this is going to work. I know it's going to be great. I know it's going to be fantastic. And she had to get in front of, you know, 50. Hundred different financiers before the one said, "You know, I believe in this, and I believe in you, and I think it's going to be great." And it was like hugely successful.
1: Successful,
0: yeah, legendary yeah. Oregonian hotel. I wish I knew the name of it off the top of my head, but Fantastic. like yeah, her vision, it took it was a lot of testing and a lot of her getting the stronger muscle of going back at it and going. I, I can't stop thinking about it. I shouldn't stop, you know, going going after it
1: you know there's there's two quick things that made it made me think of one thing that, uh, a, a producer friend of mine uh who's done a, a lot of uh, a lot of amazing stuff um and had a company with christina ricci and she said she often thinks of it like dating like you either again we're sort of back to that alchemy like it's either it, like you don't you're not going to get a yes from everybody <laughs> like you know it, there's going to be an actual connection that's going to work and and all you need is that one where it's the right connection you know for each project for each thing so you may have a litany of really bad dates you know and then you just go okay next that wasn't if that person didn't like me then it wasn't, they didn't like, they, well, for whatever reason, you know, the next, like it's on to the next thing. It's nothing personal. It's just not a good match for whatever reason, for the myriad of reasons that we've discussed that may have nothing to do with you or the quality of the project um, whatsoever. And the other thing is, um, you know, also when you're doing something outside of the box, like you were talking about with, with her vision about this hotel, and it isn't necessarily cookie cutter and every hotel that we've ever seen ha- is that same thing. You know, you you often get uh a lot of flack you get you know with our movie it's a controversial movie so you're gonna get when people start saying sort of how dare you and and a- attacking you to some degree or even saying no like i would never want this thing you know whatever the the, the ways it presents itself you know in, to some degree you're doing something right all you know a lot of great art uh, challenges challenges people and moves the needle and, and, and you know, the audience, it can often be ready for it and you can be ahead of where some of the, the gatekeepers are. So it's, it's also knowing the belief in what you're doing, especially if you're getting some how dare yous, you may actually be doing something that you're like, I'm onto something here or no, people wouldn't be having this reaction.
0: important It's hard to be the lead goose because you've got the wind in your face. You know, but the only other choice is you're tucked where deep inside the herd, where everyone else is, where you don't stand out, where everything's totally safe. And like, that's, that's not where we belong as visionaries and artists and entrepreneurs. Right. (laughs) Juliet Landau, I'm so grateful for your time today. Thank you for dropping in with me on our wonderful call. So I always feel so enriched by talking to you. It's so brilliant. You are so brilliant.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, likewise, I love talking to you. It always just flies by. I hope, I hope this is, was useful. I have no idea. So I hope so.
0: Meaningful. Are you kidding? Oh my gosh. Super meaningful. No, I I really appreciate it. And so where can our audience and listeners find you?
1: Oh, uh, they can
0: find me. uh, Anything you want to share?
1: Okay. Uh, on Twitter, I'm Juliet Landau. And um, also uh, our film, A Place Among the Dead, if they go to Modern Films, is our distributor. So modernfilms.com slash A Place Among the Dead. That's the title of the film. Modernfilms.com slash A Place Among the Dead. They can check that out. And I'm Juliet underscore Landau on Instagram.
0: Awesome. It, is that something that whatever, like, so you've got your distributor now, will it ever like say, Oh, and we're going to then take it to streaming is that, will there be another, it will, yeah, will, right? That will happen too. So it's like, look for the IMDB to find out where it's playing now. Maybe it's a good thing. Too. Yeah.
1: Or on modern films, it'll always have it because modern films is our distributor. So it's going to for every window. So it will say like right now we're doing these uh, interactive screening events that are amazing. And then it will be opening worldwide and then it exactly. will be on the streamers and it can, will tell you everywhere that you can,
0: find it. Awesome. Thanks, so much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of entertainment business wisdom. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast, reach out to us on Twitter with questions or comments and get support for your career at entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Thank you.